0: His patience is wearing thin, and he's probably wondering how much longer he's going to have to live as an outlaw, struggling to survive and provide food for his men. So when David receives word that Nabal has insulted him and rejected his request, his desire to save faith with his men and his waning trust in God cause him to fly into a rage. You can hear David's doubts as the background music to his rage. When will God honor his promise? How will I continue to provide for my men and their families? How can this outlaw life be part of my story? David is ready to show the whole nation what happens when he doesn't get the respect he deserves. In the blink of an eye, David is ready to take revenge, wiping out not just Nabal, but his whole household. As Eugene Peterson says in his commentary on 1 Samuel, the David that we are used to seeing as full of God is at the moment full of himself. Fear and pity will do. Self pity will do that to you. So, who's the bad guy in this story? Was Nabal a wicked fool who offended God's anointed? Yes, but it's important here for us to see that the subversive element of this story. It's easy to force fit our David is the hero, Nabal is the bad guy narrative, but to move into true reconciliation, we often have to toss aside our tidy categories. You mean God is using Muslim barbers to minister peace to his children who have been ravaged by Islamic extremists? So here's where Abigail enters the story. She is our unlikely hero, a privileged yet subject woman. So first, I think her story shows us that reconciliation is awfully costly and risky. What would you do if an army was coming? It doesn't say so in the text, but a woman with Abigail standing could have likely gotten out of town before David's men arrived. If she could arrange food for 600 at short notice, surely she could have just gotten on a donkey, grabbed her kids, favorite servants, and cleared out. Instead, she stays in it and faces David's unknown response to her offering. Abigail steps right into the fray and accompanies the offering herself, putting herself in harm's way. She also risks her whole future, even assuming that David relented. While Abigail has power over her servants and standing in her community, that was only because of her status with Nabal. As the local landowner, Nabal could have taken another wife, physically punished her, or worse, in retribution for essentially emptying his bank account to feed David's men. Knowing what we do about Nabel, it's hard to imagine that Abigail would have counted on a gentle response to her actions. Clearly, Abigail recognized that though she didn't have all the power in the situation, she had more than the servants in her household. She took the risk for their sake. She knew she could do no less. The second thing we learn from Abigail is that she used what she had to make peace, she used her mind. Abigail is really the quintessential Proverbs 31 woman. She clearly was wise and cool under pressure. She was shrewd with how and when she related to her husband, and she knew how to stage manage the presentation of offerings to David. She used her status to marshal others to her cause. She was able to mobilize her household to help to deliver perhaps days of rations for 600 men. Animals had to be slaughtered. Stores had to be bundled and carried. It required administration. She also deployed financial resources. At this time, there wasn't a credit card to charge. All this food must have been in the storehouses of Nabal, the closest thing to a bank account at the time. What has God given you that you could deploy um, towards reconciliation in your local and global context? When I think about somebody who's using what they have at hand to bring reconciliation, I'm reminded of a story from my own life. When I was in high school, my parents got divorced and I hadn't seen it coming. I was devastated. Little did I know that my youth pastor at the time was putting together an unlikely reconciliation strategy. Under the pretext of earning a scholarship for a mission trip, he asked me to spend a series of afternoons organizing his office library. I thought I was helping him, but in our times together, we inevitably talked about what I was going through. Looking back, I can see clearly his intentional use of that time. When my dad suddenly left my mom, my ability to trust men had been broken. My youth pastor was patiently and naturally laying the groundwork for an eventual reconciliation between me and men. He knew that God's heart was broken for me and he interceded on God's behalf, standing squarely between me and the belief the enemy was trying to sow in me that men couldn't be trusted. He he used the small resources at his command to orchestrate healing and reconciliation. The last thing I want us to see about Abigail is that we have to be at peace to make peace. One of the most striking parts of this story for me is how clear-headed and clear-hearted Abigail was this whole time. We don't have a record of her daily relationship with God, but I believe there's lots of evidence in the story that her groundedness came from God. When the servants brought her news of the danger she was in, she didn't panic or go into self-protection mode. Instead, she was able to take in the servant's story, remain at peace, and quickly develop a strategy to intervene. In what for me is the most powerful moment in the story, Abigail offers more than physical provision for David and his men. She offers words of life. After meeting David along the road and offering her gift of food to David and his men, she says, beginning in verse 28, "'Please forgive your servant's offense, "'for the Lord your God will certainly make "'a lasting dynasty for my Lord, "'because you fight the Lord's battles.'" And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of the Lord, the life of my Lord, will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies He will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing He promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel. My Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. She reaches past David's anger and injured ego and speaks right into his insecurities. Her words break the spell of ego and fear and restore David to his right mind and his true identity. I think these words did more than the wagon loads of food ever could. I'm pretty sure that her words didn't just come from her clearly intelligent mind remember god hadn't broadly revealed his big plans for david yet abigail's prophetic words were evidence that in spite of her fearful circumstances she had the personal peace and relationship to hear from god have you ever tried to hear from god when you're freaking out i can tell you from experience it's not easy i believe that the critical moment for abigail nabal and the whole community was the result of Abigail's own ability to be at peace internally over the course of her life. Where in your life do you need to seek greater internal peace so that you can be a more effective reconciler? Is there someone in your life that has let fear and insecurity lead them into a dark place? Might God want to give you a word of encouragement to help remind them of God's faithfulness and their identity in Christ? Before we close, I want to zoom out and and ask, how important is the work of peacemaking and reconciliation? Paul certainly thought it was a big deal. He said it was a core job description of Jesus and his followers. He said in 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 18, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Jesus' entire ministry can be seen as a costly, practical, God-led work to restore our relationship with God, each other, and even ourselves. For instance, when Jesus stands between um, the Pharisees and the women caught in adultery in John 8, it's reconciliation he's after. Just like in the story of Abigail, we see, we see Jesus intervening between two less-than-perfect parties to prevent violence. Yes, the women had committed adultery, but the Pharisees were willing to use this woman as a pawn in their ongoing mission to undermine Jesus' ministry. Jesus braves the risks, uses what he has at hand, And speaks out of his connection to the heart of God. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. I see a warning in these two stories for the church. Both the story of Abigail and the woman caught in adultery involve a righteous character intervening, not to protect the good people from the evil people, but to protect the righteous ones from doing evil. Abigail has to stop the man after God's own heart from exacting revenge. Jesus stops the religious leaders from doling out a legally sanctioned death sentence. I believe this is a warning to the church that we need to be careful that we don't let our moral certainty justify dehumanizing people who are different from us. When we do find ourselves in that place, we need to be Abigail to each other, reminding each other of our God-given identities, and helping each other turn towards mercy. Sarah Cunningham is a follower of Jesus and a mom who lives in Oklahoma. When her youngest son, Parker, was 21, he came out to her that he was gay. She found herself in what felt like a dark place of trying to reconcile her beliefs about sexuality, her faith, and her love for her son. Out of that experience, she was brought face-to-face with the rejection and brokenness that so often is experienced by LGBTQ people and their families. She felt like a call to do something about it. She began to go to pride parades with a simple banner that said, Free Mom Hugs. Sorry. She went and freely offered her arms to anyone who needed them. That small act of reconciliation has become a movement called Free Mom Hugs. Now, a 10 city tour where she reaches out to both the LGBT community and their families. She used what she had, her arms, to bring peace. As we close, um, as I was praying about this story and just how God wanted to, what God wanted to say to our community, I want you to know that I had a deep sense of joy because God, just all week, was reminding me of. So many stories in this community of people who are engaging in the work of peacemaking and reconciliation. Some of us are building bridges. Some of us are risking to protect those with less power and privilege. Some of us are interceding between people and the lies the enemy is trying to speak over them. And um, I, I have kind of three groups Um, that I think that God really wants to encourage this morning. And I'm hoping that everybody will see themselves in in one of these groups. First, um, I believe that many of you are already engaged in the work of reconciliation, but either you don't think it's important, um, you don't feel sent by God in it, or you may not even really see that it's peacemaking, You think, well, I'm just going to the racial reconciliation group or I'm just bringing dinner to my neighbor or I'm just talking to the checker at the grocery store. You think, well, this is too easy or this is too little to make a difference. To you, I think God wants to say, I see you. I see the way that you use who you are and what you have. To create connections and restore hope and remind people that I have not forgotten them. Who you are and where you are is not an accident. You have been sent by me to be a minister of reconciliation in your little corner of the world. So I want to invite you this morning if you don't feel like you are a peacemaker or reconciliation, if you don't have the eyes to see that, I want you to ask God um, just during our time of worship after this. Show me where I'm already doing this in my life. Um, I think there's a second group of you that maybe have been invited by God into a reconciling work or relationship, but you're hanging back for some reason. Maybe you're afraid of the cost. Maybe you feel like you don't know what to do. Maybe you think that the small thing that you have to offer won't matter. And for you, I want to invite you to re-experience that invitation from God this morning and to ask him, what's one small thing that I can do this week to say yes to God? Maybe the worship team can come up. I just have one more thing to say. Um, I think the last group, I think that there maybe are a few of you here today for whom reconciliation and peacemaking are a real focus in your life and maybe you're weary Maybe you've been at it a long time, and you aren't making the kind of headway you had hoped. We, we didn't talk about this, but um, at the end of the story, Nabal ends up dying, and Abigail becomes David's wife, and um, she becomes part of his wilderness journey. And so I, I imagine the years after that that she was with him before um, before she, he, was, he was ending up being established as king, and maybe the weariness that she even experienced at later points um, of being a voice for God in his life. Um, anyways, if you're, if you're at a place where you're involved in the ministry of interceding and reconciling and um, you're feeling weary, I believe that God wants to strengthen and refresh you. And um, I just challenge you this morning to maybe tell someone that you're with that, of that weariness um, I know Brian's on the prayer team this morning. I'm going to hop over to the prayer team as well. And if anyone would like prayer um, to um, have, have God show them where they're doing this work in their lives already, we'd love to pray with you. Um, if you're feeling like you're hanging back and you need a boldness, we'd love to pray for you. Or if you're experiencing weariness in peacemaking, We'd love to pray for God to fill you with fresh anointing. Thank you.